Hi everyone, this is Sylvia Dixon, recording from Toledo, Ohio. And this is Jade Wanamaker, recording in Dallas, Texas. And welcome to the podcast, What Didn't Kill Me. So you're back in Dallas, huh? Yep, I am definitely back. And I'm glad to be back in my own bed to sleep, but I miss you guys a lot. Well, it was nice to have you for the short time that we did. I'm glad I got to come visit. Yes. We got a lot done. Yep. So we decided that we are going to have our exiting, I guess, from our podcast is going to be my son, Xander, who briefly appeared a couple episodes ago, but uh, he's going to now on be doing our outro. So he's excited about that. Good. I'm glad he's excited to be able to participate. He wants to sit in through whole episodes, but some of the stuff we talk about, I'm not too sure. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable. We'll have to find, like, a kid hero episode or something like that. Yeah. So, who's going first? I will be going first today. Okay. And today I'm going to be talking about Harrison Ojegba Okeni. So... May 26th of 2013, um, Harrison is 29 years old, and he is working as a cook on a tugboat, um, and at this point in time, they are approximately 20 miles off the coast of Escuervos, Nigeria, and that's uh, converted, it's approximately 32 kilometers. Can you translate that to American measurement? 20 miles. Okay. So there is a Chevron oil tanker who is filling up at a bayou. Nope. Buoy. That's the right word. Um, but they're out in the sea, so there are three smaller, like, tugboats, and they are helping keep the tanker steady. Well, during this, at approximately 5 o'clock in the morning, a wave uh, comes through and capsizes one of the tugboats. Oh, boy. So the tugboat that uh, capsized was the Jascon 4, and that went down with a crew of 12. This was being at 5 in the morning. Um, Harrison actually had to go to the bathroom. So he got up and went into the hall and went to the bathroom. And it was at this time that the tugboat uh, capsized and the water started coming into the boat and he tried to open up the bathroom door, but it's a really heavy metal door and the water pressure was proving to be very difficult to push against. When Harrison was finally able to open up the bathroom door, a, like, whoosh of uh, water came in and swept him into the hall and into another one of the cabins, like, where they sleep. And he was stuck in there because what had happened was the boat, when it sunk and landed at the uh, the bottom of the sea floor, it landed upside down. Um, it also was approximately 100 feet underwater. So 
my worst nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So he's very lucky because what's happened is there's an air pocket in this cabin that he was swept into. I think I know this story. So thankfully, since there was like a whole team out there, you know, supporting this uh, oil tanker, they were able to immediately kind of pull in people. Uh, they sent out for a team and uh, a rescue team uh, came out with also a helicopter and uh, divers started searching for the boat almost like immediately. So the dive team was uh, really quickly able to identify where the boat had actually landed and they marked it with uh, buoys um, and dropped anchors. Harrison heard the anchors and he started kind of like beating on the walls, but they really couldn't hear him. And not only that, when the dive team was able to get to the boat and where it had actually landed in order to search for survivors. They were ill-equipped. They weren't ready to do a deep dive, so their equipment couldn't really handle it. They could be down there for a few minutes, but they had to pretty much kind of go down there and search and then come right back up. Um, And because they didn't find any much evidence of survivors, they called off the search. Oh, boy. So after about nearly 24 hours, he decides to try and find a way out. Now would be a real great time to put in a bit of a reminder that, you know, you're 100 feet underwater, and so there's not much sunlight or lights happening in general, so it is pitch black. So he's feeling his way around, is what you're saying. Yeah, he's feeling his way around, but I'm also thinking of just how dark it has to be like i i feel claustrophobic <laughs> and i'm not a big fan of the dark and i just feel like this is a real like like chills i have chills it's what a lot of i think uh, scary movies <laughs> start off as or right you know <laughs> or at the end of the movie you're in the complete dark and you don't know where the things are <laughs> mhm So he begins to feel his way around, and he manages to get into the engineer's office. And, I mean, my amazement at the very least, there was another air pocket. Oh, wow. And this one was much bigger. This air pocket was approximately four feet high. So now that he's kind of, you know, not having to worry so much about using all of the oxygen in that small air pocket he was previously in he's now still sitting in the dark and in cold water so he's freezing and so in order to stay off the hypothermia that could be setting in at any time he uh finds some tools that are around him and he uses those to take the panels off the walls around him and he's able to find a mattress and he pretty much piles them up, and he's able to get himself up out of the water. Oh, wow. From what I could see, it looked like he pretty much peeled, like, half of a panel off the wall, so it kind of made almost like a right angle, and then he could get up there, kind of like a bunk bed. Right, right. Um, 
Smart. So he was able to get out of the water for a little while. So during this time, um, you know, hours are passing, and he pretty much just keeps thinking about his family, and um, he he prays. In fact, he actually makes a pact with God. He says uh, something to the effect of, if you save me, I will never go out to sea again. Like, he he was ready to give up the the cook on the... Retire from being a cook, you mean? Yeah. At the very least, out on the boats. Um, at this point in time, this is where we get a little gross, but not nearly as gross as what we have talked before. So he actually, um, because there's so much salt in the water, he begins to lose some of the skin on his tongue. And he says that he was able to smell um, rot, like decomposing, and we're pretty sure that that would have been his fellow crewmates. Another thing is that, you know, you're pretty much in this big metal, I want to say bean, but that's not quite the right word. (laughs) Uh, He's this, the boat is made out of metal. And so it echoes. So it is super loud. He can hear, you know, banging and it's like, enormously loud and there's creaking and he can hear fish eating oh man eating what i will let you decide oh i think i can guess something tells me it's not seaweed yeah yeah good guess so while we're talking about what he hears he actually hears another anchor and banging on the hull at one at some point and he he begins, you know, thinking, oh my gosh, there are divers here. Like, there, there are people. And so he starts banging on the wall to try and get somebody else's attention. Um, but he, he figures, you know, there's no way that they're hearing me because they clearly didn't hear me last time. Why are they going to hear me this time, you know? Right. Well, he actually ends up seeing a light in the hallway and he goes after it to get help uh, because it's a diver. And the diver kind of just goes straight past his hall, or past the doorway to his cabin. And so he has to, like, jump into the water and go after the diver. I feel for the diver. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Could you imagine being like, no, wait, wait, come back, I'm in here. Da-da-da-da-da, something grabs your leg. (laughs) Why is it that a lot of our stories sound like the, like a scary movie? (laughs) Right? I, well, I mean, they are. Like, they're totally, like, they're terrifying. These are all very scary situations. Yeah. Situations to be in. So, what happened? And why was there a second round of divers? Do you have any guesses? To retrieve the bodies, I'm guessing? Yes, actually. That is it. So, the parent company who owned the Jascon 4. Uh, they are West African Ventures. And they hired... They what now? <laughs> hired uh, or hard or... And swoosh. They... Uh, <laughs> they hired a salvage saturation diving team. And so these are people who actually have experience with deep sea diving 
and they're not going to, you know, bank out at 100 feet. And they were hired by West African Ventures to get the bodies of the lost crew members. Which I think is really, really nice. Like, I don't know if it's just... Right. I get what you're saying. My... They didn't have to do like, that. Yeah. I feel like in America, that's not necessarily something that a company is going to do. I guess it all depends on the company and the outrage of people, too. Yeah. And I guess the depth, too, because, you know, I could understand or I could at least see where a company might come at the situation as a, oh, well, you know, they're 400 feet down. They're so far down, da-da-da-da-da. But maybe because it is so, like, it, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it's that right. deep. Still, very nice of them. Yeah. So we have six divers, a tech crew, and a deck crew. And they are already kind of, like, getting pumped up for it because they know that it's going to be a bit of a hard job right. to do this. Because it not only landed, you know, 100 feet down, upside down, it also landed in real soft mud. Oh. So this means that... It's still sinking. There's lots of silt. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, not only that, it's that... It pretty much did a big puff. <laughs> okay. There's it's there are lots of particles in the water and it's really dense. You can't really okay, see okay. through it much. And in addition to that, the doors to most of the cabins are locked. Oh. Would you like to know why they are locked? Because they were sleeping? Yes. But do you know why they were locked when they were sleeping? Other than privacy? I don't know. Okay, so what it was, was they were having some real issues with pirates out there. And so it was in protocol that when the crew member would go to bed in their their cabin, they would lock the doors. And that was a safety measure. Gotcha. So now, you know, let's put this together. It's five o'clock in the morning. You don't know what you're doing. All of a sudden there's water. You have to figure out where your key is in order to unlock your, your stuff. And you're upside down. And boom, now you're, you know, upside down and there's furniture everywhere and it's five o'clock in the morning. Like, I don't know about you, but I am not awake. Right. Our main three divers are Nico, Andre, and Daryl. Mm. And their supervisor is Colby Werrett. And what he did was... Um, while the three were down there diving and searching, he actually would guide the divers through a mic to Nico and a video surveillance on their suits. Okay. They found four bodies, and after that, okay. Nico heads up the stairway in order to get to the main deck. And he he sees a hand, and he reaches out towards the hand, and it grabs him. And you can hear, oh, <laughs> right? Like, how terrified would you be? Because I, it would have gotten warmer. Like, I would have peed myself. <laughs> um, and, and you can hear them say, he's alive, he's alive. So, knowing that there is the video on his 
Gosh darn English. Wetsuit? Yeah. Helmet? Yeah. Dive equipment? Mm-hmm. All the above? Yes. So, Nico had the video camera on his suit. So, you can actually go on YouTube and watch the footage of when Nico d- uh, makes contact with Harrison. I think I've, I've seen it before. And it's really amazing. Through my research, um, they had mentioned a whole bunch of science and a whole bunch of math. And pretty much it comes out to say that the air pocket that Harrison was in should have lasted him for approximately 48 hours or two days. When they found him, he had been underwater for 60 hours. Oh, wow. So what a big concern was, was uh, carbon dioxide or CO2. Right. Carbon dioxide poisoning? Yes, exactly. So, we breathe in oxygen, and then we breathe out carbon dioxide, which at a level of 5% can be incredibly deadly to us. Like, Mm -hmm. very deadly. Like, dead dead. However, what I learned, which is super freaking cool, is that CO2 is absorbed by water. So... When splashing around in the water, it actually made, it kept the levels below that deadly 5%. Oh, wow. Right? That is so cool. Like, I don't know. I, I'm like giddy over here because I just think that's really cool. So, uh, the diver said that when they found him, he had CO2 poisoning he was short of breath, and he was delirious. So, pretty much when they found him, he was knocking on death's door. After they were able to make contact and make sure that he was okay, uh, they warmed him up with warm water and gave him an oxygen mask. And this is where we get into another piece of danger. So, now that he's been found, He's underwater, you know, we've got the situation kind of under control, except... Let me guess, he can't swim. (laughs) That would be really funny. But no, no, that is not our problem. Oh, okay. So, recreational divers typically dive to a depth of up to 130 feet, which is approximately 30 meters. And when they do dive to these depths, they don't stay at 100 feet or below for very long. At max, maybe 20 minutes. Do you know why this is? Has to do with the pressure? Yes. Yes, it does. And as soon as I start talking about this, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So, nitrogen bubbles will form in your blood, and that is caused by major changes in pressure. And this is often referred to as... um, The bend. That's exactly it, yeah. So, it's also called uh, Cassian disease or decompression sickness. A lot of people might know that if you go diving, you are not supposed to get on a plane that day or the following day 
because of the drastic changes in pressure from being underwater to, you know, surface level to above, you know, in an airplane. Right. Don't dive and fly in the same day. Yeah. And it's really important not to because it can cause small things like joint pain and rashes to paralysis or neurological issues to cardiac arrest or legit death. Like, it could just kill you. Right. So they decide to bring him up like they would bring up any one of the saturation divers. Um, that what they do is they put him in the oxygen mask, of course, and they get him some diving gear, such as like a mask and a headset. And they work on his breathing for approximately 20 minutes with him in the water. And then they help them pretty much navigate out of the boat. And once he's out of the boat, they put him into a diving bell. Oh, okay. Uh, And so... When he got back up to surface, um, he actually thought it was Sunday evening. And so he thought he was down there for like 12 hours. It was Tuesday. No point. It was Tuesday, May 28th at approximately 7 o'clock p.m. He had been underwater for over two days. And again, this is without food or proper water. I was going to say, can you... Are you able to explain what a diving bell is? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So, a diving bell, it is actually bell shaped, and you pretty much, it's kind of a lot like a shark grate, but it's enclosed. Okay. And it's hooked up on a cable, so that way then you can pretty much sit or stand in it, and it will pull you up to the surface. What it's also going to do is, um, on your way up, you're going to stop at intervals in order to, to help alleviate some of the drasticness from, you know, that hundred feet to, you know, surface level. We'll do like a hundred to 50 to 25 to surface because it breaks it up more easily. Right. It's not quite as much of a shock. Right. So after reaching the surface, he was then in a decompression chamber for two and a half days. Which would suck. I'd say, well, bring in the food first. <laughs> Probably, yeah, yeah. Um, which, you know, I'm thinking about it because, like, two and a half days doesn't seem too bad, especially when you think, you know, he was down there for almost three days, and normally people wouldn't be at near that level for more than 20 minutes. Right. But also he was in the dark and he didn't realize how much time has passed where in a decompression chamber he probably was more aware of how long he was there and stuff. That's probably true, yeah. Yeah. So, all in all, uh, there was a crew of 12 with one survivor and 10 bodies recovered. One body was never found um, because the search was called off due to dangerous conditions. Harrison fully recovered, and he went back home to his hometown. In Nigeria, there are a lot of religious people, 
and there's a lot of superstitious people. And so he didn't go to any of the funerals for his fellow crewmates because he was worried about, you know, their beliefs and what they may have thought. It was actually rumored that he used black magic in order to save himself. Oh, so people were kind of, the relatives of those who didn't survive looked at him as if he was cursed or used devilish means to escape. Yeah, exactly. Afterwards, he ended up having survivor's guilt, um, and he would go to therapy for it, and he was also diagnosed with PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, and he would have reoccurring nightmares oftentimes. Uh, his wife has said he often wakes up screaming uh, and thrashing because he he thinks he's underwater again. Does he keep his deal with God about not going out in the water again? Funny you should say that, actually. He is a cook on dry land. He kept his pact with God. And that's my story today. And what year was this again? This was 2013. I remember when it happened. I mean, it was even on the news. They were showing it on, like, the morning shows. Yeah. Of yeah. when he was, of when he was found. Yeah. So... So then I remember it. Yeah, you've already seen the video. Yes. It's it I've watched it several times on and off throughout the years. It's he's lucky to be alive. Yeah, that was real it's I don't know, like I often try to put myself in these situations to try and think, you know, what would I have done? Or could I have seen myself doing anything that they did? Or, you know, being able to admire that they thought of something like being able to pull off the sides the walling and then use that as a way to keep yourself above the water that's genius. i never would have thought of it yeah right? like i could definitely see myself trying to you know titanic door the mattress but even then that's going to soak up water and it's going to sink over time right so how did how did you come about this case i mean did you remember when it happened or just looking things up and stumbled on it. It did start out with me uh, stumbling upon it, but after watching some of the the video, the the rescue video, I realized that I had to, uh, or I too, <laughs> had seen it on the news, and I did vaguely remember when this uh, had occurred. Well, that was pretty good. So, like. What do you think would have been the scariest part if you were in his position? Oh, my God. Right. All of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, being in the dark, trying to... Taking that risk must have been really hard, though, going from the first room to the other... Finding the other room, because then again was also luck. I mean, he might not have found it, and going off... He, in the dark, he could have easily got disoriented and not found his way back to, you know, to the first spot. That was really brave of him just to do that. It took a lot of courage. Yeah, exactly. When when you started saying that, I was like, oh my goodness, yes. Because exactly the whole getting turned around. I know, like, I am terrible directional-wise. Like, can't watch me play a video game because I am just always looking at the map. <laughs> And I can't get anywhere without my GPS, usually. Yeah, I mean, it was not only 
in the dark, but upside down in the dark. Right. So again, everything is completely off. Yeah, because then you'd think, okay, well, at least he knew kind of like the layout, right? No, psych. And like, if you... Okay, so I often lay on the floor when I watch TV. But if you like look up and look at your ceiling... Very often, it's not the exact layout you would think it would be. Right. Like, you would think it would be exactly like your floor, but oftentimes there are little changes that happen. Like, I don't know how to... Sh- like, okay, so... I get in, what you're Between saying. the hallway and my study area, you know, there's, like, a half wall that comes down from the ceiling, and you don't necessarily notice that until, you know, you're walking across there upside down right and as for the direction i'm pretty good with normal directions like driving you know i do it for a living and daryl's always telling me how impressed he is about my directions i can go to some place once and then find my way back home and then back to the place again if i needed to and whatnot but on computer games it's like a whole other situation i get totally lost on video games and I'm like you. I'm constantly trying to look at the map and figure out where I'm at and everything. It's it's really weird. It's, I get totally lost in video games. Yeah, I super duper like admire you for being able to just go to one place or go to a place once and then just navigate your way back and forth like you've gone there your whole life. Because I have to like... I, I start out with my maps and then over time I'm like, okay, I'll pull up the map when I get over this far or this far. So that I make myself learn my ways. And if it's areas that I know, if I'm going someplace I, I've never been to, I still look at the area. You know, like, okay, that's north of this or south of that, so I'll head in that direction. And then don't really need the the GPS until I'm really close to the place. If it's an area, I know. But that was really good, Jade. Thank you. I'm trying to come up with some more questions because, like, I I'm not done. I don't want to stop talking about it yet because it just <laughs> there's so much I think about in this one because it it is scary. Like, I'm already claustrophobic. Like being stuck in a room like that because Link he wasn't even in like a full room. First off, we're talking a cabin, and then half of the cabin is filled with water. So he's only got a half cabin, roughly. Or I guess I guess in the engineer's room, it was bigger. Right. I still like want to know what made him think of taking the panels. What? How did he know to do that? Like, did he know to do that? Like, did someone tell him at some point? Was it in a training of some kind? Because that just seems genius. Right. But at the same time, I could also understand, you know, absolute desperation just trying to figure out Anything that could help you. So I'm a little, I don't know if irritated is the right word for it, but like when the, okay, so the first set of divers, right? Your suits aren't quite equipped well enough to handle this and you're not seeing any survivors necessarily, but there's still that chance, right? Like obviously there's clearly some sort of chance if you know, Harrison found not only the one pocket of air, but two pockets of air. Why wouldn't you right. just, you know, call in for a better suit of some kind? Right. Yeah, for them to just assume that was kind of shitty of them. Like, oh, well, they're dead. Let's go home. 
Yeah, and, like, they could have been looking for a while, but at the same time, you know... I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just because this was, you know, the one exception to the rule. But I feel like, why wouldn't you have a decent suit anyway if you're rescuing in, like, the seas? And maybe that's a silly question, because I don't dive, like... I haven't dived ever, but I'm wanting to. You know, why not just at least have one on hand if you're a rescue team? Right. So probably later going to go and look up the video. <laughs> yeah. Well, I highly recommend it. Um, I have the link to it in my notes, so we can go ahead and throw that link on in our uh, description. Yeah. I have uh, some pictures for you for my case. They're on our Discord, but don't look at them yet. Okay. Unless you've already accidentally stumbled across them. Accidentally, when I was looking for the other thing that I was looking for earlier today, but I didn't look very <laughs> intently. As soon as I realized what it was, I looked away. So do you know what my thing's about? Kind of, I think. I probably should have warned you about that. Yeah. Oopsie. Whoopsies. I'm sorry. I still just can't get over how dark it had to have been down there. It's like, just thinking, like... The darkest you've ever been in, but darker. And then hearing noises. And yeah, and then hearing the noises on top of that, like, all of the creaking and the banging, like, because, you you know, some of those doors were probably opened, and then there's all of the furniture, and it's not all nailed down. And the set, everything settling down into the, the mud or dirt and everything. Right. And then, of course, you've got the actual wildlife around there, which has to be absolutely just like my mind is boggled <laughs> it's my mind is terrified <laughs> that too absolutely because like like also you had to think you know if he's hearing the wildlife around him and then he still decided to go out and see if he could find a way out because i think that would have been one of my big fears is that you know i'm gonna be you know kind of safe comfortable being okay, and then something's going to get me. Right. Like, I probably, what wouldn't have killed me would have been, like, me giving myself my own heart attack because I'm so scared <laughs> of something grabbing me. <laughs> As opposed- like you said, ha- most of our stories sound like it's something out of a, a scary movie. Yeah. And, like, I grew up watching, you know, Jaws and Deep Blue Sea. Yeah, the Jaws thing would probably be running through my head a couple times. Oh, yeah. Like, it would just drive me insane. All right, should I go ahead with my story? Okay, well, no, okay. It's like, <laughs> I have, I've got more questions for you. I'm sorry. Okay. You were a cook for the boat, right? Okay. Would you ever take another boat position? Or no. ever go out on a boat again? I don't know. I, I don't think I would. Not after his thing? No. I don't think I would. Because, like, my thought is, I could maybe be okay with a boat, like, going out for a little bit and not too far. And, you know, like, like if it was a small boat, like, family boat type thing. But I don't think I'd want to be out there overnight. And I'd almost wonder if, like, I would have had my fill of water in the ocean after being stuck in it for three days. Well, remember when I did the, um... The story on the little boy with his dad and his dad's friend. Yeah. Their boat, you know, wasn't very big, you know, only had like a canopy over it and it sank and they were out in the water for six hours or something like that. 
I don't think even after that I'd get on a boat. (laughs) Also understandable. Yeah. That's... The water is terrifying. It's... The water itself is beautiful and everything. It's the not knowing what's underneath you (laughs) that's the terrifying. Yeah, it's... And how fast it's moving. Right. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, I've had my fill of watching like surfers or people jump into the water and then seeing the shark and them not noticing. And it's just like a close call. And I'm like, I don't even want to think about how many times I've had a close call of any sort like that. Like, no, thank you. Any other questions? Okay. What's that? Maybe. I think I have one. Okay. So do you know much about what a decompression chamber is? Because I don't entirely. I was just wondering yes if you did. Yes no, but I think a lot of my knowledge comes from, like, medical TV shows. I'm not talking documentaries either. Gotcha, I'm gotcha. like, Grey's Anatomy and things like that. Right. Because they've had episodes where they were all excited because they got a decompression chamber, and they've used it before when people have actually been regularly sick. It had nothing to do with the water or anything. They, they've used it when people are sick. And supposedly they have medical teams on there that advisors or something that help them out. So I, I don't quite understand why they use it for people being sick or whatnot. I don't understand all that. So Okay. Okay. So one more question. Okay. Do you think it would have been easier for you the... Almost three days in the water or the two and a half days in the decompression chamber? I'm sure it's probably easier in the decompression chamber because at least you'd have some light. Yeah. And hopefully some actual food and water. Mm-hmm. If not, I'd say knock my butt out. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, I'd be really claustrophobic to go back into another enclosed area for another several days. Yeah. You know. Because it's not like it's After a just room, being it's in a chamber. Right, right. Yeah, I think I would understand going into it, but I think after what I'd just been through and then going into that, I, I it'd be hard. Yeah. All right, well, that is it. That is all I've got for you today. Okie dokie. I never even thought of that story. That's pretty good. Well, thank you so much. Alright, I'll go ahead and do mine. Do you want to, or do you want to save yours? Because it looks like we might be able to just do this. Especially with our outro. It could be put on with the with your kind of longer one. Okay, sounds good. Okay, so, person I'm doing today, her name is Amanda Bostic. She's 34 years old, and she's a mother of two. So, in June of 2018... She goes on a business trip to Daytona Beach, Florida. Okay. Uh, She's from Lexington, Kentucky. So it's like a whole group of them had gone on this business trip. Okay. And it's their last day or whatever. So they decide to go on the boardwalk. Okay. And the boardwalk is like a little amusement park. So... They've been on the rides and stuff on and off, and then... Okay, clarifying... The last... Clarifying question. Okay. So, is... It's not like one of those fishing piers. It's like a whole big thing. Yeah? 
Yeah. Okay. I didn't get to see a lot of the surrounding areas, but I guess it's just like a little amusement park set off on the beach or something. Okay. So, the cars, there's like three cars attached to this little roller coaster that they decide to get on at the end. And and four people can fit into each car. The name of the cost the name of the coster? <laughs> yeah, okay. This tries again. The name of the roller coaster is called Sandblaster. And so they decide to get on it, and from the very beginning, Amanda says something just didn't feel right. That that when they started going it seemed a little more shaky than any of the other rides they had that day. Uh-huh. Granted it's a roller coaster, but still it seemed a lot more shaky than than it should be. And when they turned a corner, that it felt like the thing really wasn't on the track right. Oh no. Yes. So they're going along and then all of a sudden she hears screeching and booming and then all of a sudden she's flying through the air. Oh no. And she and her friend are in the very front row. So okay, okay, so I've got so many questions. And and Okay. Okay, so first off, going back a little bit to like the sound. I know my first thought would be, okay, is it a wooden roller coaster? Because if it's got, like, the wood beams, those guys are super loud and, like, shaky. Um, I know down here uh, in Texas we've got a few wooden roller coasters that uh, had been re-upped and upgraded a few years back. But, like, that was the first time I went on a wooden one, and it was ridiculous. Like, I was terrified. That Actually, said. it was a metal. It was a metal roller coaster. No, yeah, that's. So, uh, uh, I no. did not. I I should have looked up to see if there were any other roller coasters there that they could have really compared it to, because you know if they're comparing rides from this ride to to the other ride, you know all rides feel different. So how she determined that it felt more shaky than any other ride that day. I'm not sure, but she said her and her friend kind of just kept looking at each other and everything. And after going over that turn, they were kind of praying to just get the ride over with, get get back safe, and get off the ride and go. Oh, no. They were really, really scared. Oh, my goodness. I, uh, uh, I have, uh, nightmares and nerves. Isn't this like a... I've never seen the movies, but isn't this like a Final Destination scenario Yeah, or a movie? Yeah, I think there is a, a scene. Yeah, I, I don't watch the, the series of movies, but it seems to me like there was one about a roller coaster. Yeah. So, she goes flying, and she goes blank. And when she wakes oh, wait, up, wait, wait. she's on the ground. Okay, so is she, like, she flew out of her little car, or is she still attached to the car? Her and her friend both flew out of the car. Oh my goodness. Okay. Where th- and from... Sorry, do, do you know if there was, like, 
was it one of those ones where a bar came down or was it a seatbelt that was supposed to be on? There is a seatbelt and she says in one of the interviews she does that the guy came around and checked their seatbelt to make sure it was done and everything. She heard a click. She He pulled on it to make sure it was there, but it... It didn't hold. It came off the track is what it did. The first car came off the track. Oh. And so when it did, it flung the two girls in front, Amanda being one of them, mm-hmm. and she went flying. And she is later that... Uh, People that witnessed this said that she bounced on the railings and on the bars going down (gasps) like a pinball. Oh, my God. I did not catch the speed of which the the roller coaster was going, but she fell, uh, her and her friend fell 34 feet. I keep saying friend because they never give out the other person's name. To this day, a lot of them who were on the roller coaster... They want to remain anonymous. 34 feet? You said 34 feet. Yes, they fell 34 feet. Okay. Goodness. Yeah. And the first car, when it stopped, it ended up just dangling. Dangling. So the people behind them were still strapped to their seats, but they were hanging out. And she woke up, she looked up, and she saw... The, the car she was in, just hanging there and stuff. And she looked over and saw her friend. Her friend was on the ground, but right under where the car would fall if it fell. Yeah. So she crawled to her friend and tried to motivate her friend to move because she was afraid that the car was going to fall and really kill her friend. Her friend also was alive and talking and moving, but not moving very well. Uh, passerbys, onlookers, everybody, everybody started jumping the railings and get to the, get to the people. Even though it was 34 feet, a lot of guys and stuff climbed up to try and grab a hold of the, the, the car to make sure it didn't fall anymore because, like I said, there were two other people in there. Right. Plus there were, there were a total of 10 people on this roller coaster when it happened. Oh my goodness. Oh my so, Wow. So they're trying to hold everybody in place and, and the cars. I mean, you can see it on YouTube and on a lot of the news channels and stuff of people, just tons of people just there climbing up and, and holding on and everything. And a lot of passerbyers and bystanders really helped out. So they were able to get to her, um, the firefighters and everything came very quickly, thank God. Yeah. And they got her to the hospital. Uh, she stayed, believe it or not, she only stayed for a full 24 hours in the hospital. Wow, really? Before she was released. Yes. She had, though, a concussion. Mm-hmm. She was badly bruised all over her body. I can imagine. In one of the, inter- in the interviews, you can see from the elbow to her shoulder, it's all like purple and everything. And it was only a few days after the accident. Oh my goodness. Uh, She had chipped some teeth. Her left leg was so badly swollen that she can't uh, put it into a shoe. And like I said, it was like several days, four or five days after. She still 
could not put it into a shoe. Her friend had numerous fractures. Mm-hmm. So lots of broken bones on her friend who fell. But Amanda herself did not have any broken bones. That's surprising. Amazing. Yeah. So the firefighters were able to get down all 10 people. Six of the people besides her had to go to the hospital. So, of course, immediately <laughs> she got an attorney. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so she found out that uh, there was some failed in- inspections in February, and this accident happened in June. That the Florida Department uh, said that there were numerous uh, repairs since 2006. In 2017, there was, let's see, it says, excessive corrosion. Brace The bracing was cracked. Oh. And the track was cracked. Oh, my gosh. And that was in 2017. And... They said that it was all fixed and taken care of. Well, that day itself, they had the ride down because of service and stuff that they had to do to the, to the roller coaster. So it was already having problems that day oh my goodness. as well. I cannot find anything more on the case, only that they were her and a few of the other people. You know, they had the attorney and they were going to sue and and take him to court and everything, which is understandable. Absolutely. But I cannot find anything on the outcome of that. Do you know what the park's Um, name was? It just says Daytona Beach Boardwalk. And during reading, I did see the name of the, the... company that owned the rides but I did not write it down I'm sorry so the the roller coaster never reopened what I did find was that the roller coaster was supposed to be taken apart in 2018 and because they didn't the landowners uh took the amusement park to court to for the demand of them taking down that roller coaster, and in 2019, they actually dis- dismembered it. Good, as they should have. Uh, also, a little tidbit I forgot to add, when Amanda left the hospital, she left in the, with a walker, and she was using the walker several days later during the interviews. Mm-hmm. But uh, she recovered, and that's all I got. I'm sorry. I can't imagine I that's good. the amount of pain. Right. I I always have a slight fear of, you know, going on the roller coasters. What if this is the one time, you know? And Yeah, but I think that's that's part of the scariness of ro- the roller coaster too in a way, you know. <laughs> no. No, that is not what I want to be thinking about. No. I want to know. <laughs> okay, so maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> no. Mom, no. <laughs> Oh my goodness. No, I want to know that I am safe on this roller coaster. I just want to be able to feel the wind and see the scenery. The scenery? It goes by so fast. How can well, you that's see true. It? That is very true. <laughs> Although the first uphill, I guess you, there is scenery you can see. Yeah, one last great view, just in case. 
Oh my goodness, yeah. But yeah, that's my short story about Amanda. I can't believe she was thrown from a roller coaster and then didn't get any broken bones. Yeah, right? I was able to walk out 24 hours of the hospital later. That's craziness. I mean, her friend, of course, suffered more severe injuries, but if she ping-ponged, or what what I say? Pinball. Pinballed off the the rails and, and the structure and everything. Wow. She was lucky. And did her friend survive? Everybody who was on the roller coaster, they did survive. Her friend was in the hospital, obviously, a lot longer than her. But uh, they all eventually survived. Oh, thank goodness. I was terrified that, you know, she pretty much was going to have to, like, watch her friend die or, you know, be, like, so close to her friend. Literally just a matter of different seats and, like, one of them made it and the other didn't. I was so scared. <laughs> yeah, or the fact that either of them survived is a is a miracle. Yeah. It was a short one. There's not a lot of information about afterwards, only the couple days afterwards, and then the fact of them closing down the, the ride itself. But the fact that Cheer survived this thing, I thought it was a story to tell. Absolutely. As always, you can find our podcast at our website, which is What Didn't Kill Me. Actually, we don't have to do that no more. <gasps> You're right, we don't. Okay, awesome. So, we just, I guess, have to say our goodbyes. I love you. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast, What Didn't Kill Me. You can find us at whatdidn'tkillme.club. You can also find links from our social media there as well. And remember, What Didn't Kill Me makes a great podcast. Bye. Bye, everyone.